With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Mysteries Abound. A collection of stories about the unusual, the strange, the perplexing, and the downright odd. In our world today, mysteries abound. Welcome everyone to the Mysteries Abound podcast. This is your host Paul and this is episode 77. This show is entitled Migaloo, the Albino Humpback Whale. But to begin our show this week, an article by Mark Lalanilla from the LiveScience.com. The mysterious hum driving people crazy around the world. It creeps in slowly in the dark of night, and once inside, it almost never goes away. It's known as the hum, a steady droning sound that's heard in places as disparate as Taos, New Mexico, Bristol in England, and Largs in Scotland. But what causes the hum, and why it only affects a small percentage of the population in certain areas, remains a mystery despite a number of scientific investigations. Reports started trickling in during the 1950s from people who had never heard anything unusual before. Suddenly they were bedeviled by an annoying, low-frequency humming, throbbing or rumbling sound. The cases seem to have several factors in common. Generally the hum is only heard indoors, and it's louder at night than during the day. It's also more common in rural or suburban environments. Reports of a hum are rare in urban areas, probably because of the steady background noise in crowded cities. Only about 2% of the people living in any given hum-prone area can hear the sound, and most of them are ages 55 to 70 according to a 2003 study by acoustical consultant Jeff Leventhal of Surrey in England. Most of the people who hear the hum, sometimes referred to as hearers or hummers, describe the sound as similar to a diesel engine idling nearby, and the hum has driven virtually every one of them to the point of despair. It's a kind of torture 
Sometimes you just want to scream, retiree Katie Sharks of Leeds in England told the BBC. Leeds is one of several places in Great Britain where the hum has recently appeared. It's worse at night, Jacques said. It's hard to get off to sleep because I hear this throbbing sound in the background. You're tossing and turning and you get more and more agitated about it. Being dismissed as crackpots or whiners only exacerbates the distress for these complainants, most of whom have perfectly normal hearing. Sufferers complain of headaches, nausea, dizziness, nosebleeds and sleep disturbances. At least one suicide in the United Kingdom has been blamed on the hum, the BBC reports. Bristol, England was one of the first places on earth where the hum was reported. In the 1970s, about 800 people in the coastal city reported hearing a steady thrumming sound, which was eventually blamed on vehicular traffic and local factories working 24-hour shifts. Another famous hum occurs near Taos in New Mexico, starting in spring of 1991. Residents of the area complained of a low-level rumbling noise. A team of researchers from Los Alamos National Laboratory, the University of New Mexico, Sandia National Laboratories and other regional experts were unable to identify the source of the sound. Windsor, Ontario is another hum hotspot. Researchers from the University of Windsor and Western University in London, Ontario were recently given a grant to analyse the Windsor hum and determine its cause. Researchers have also been investigating the hum in Bondi, a seaside area of Sydney in Australia, for several years, to no avail. It sends people around here crazy. All you can do is put music on to block it out. Some people leave fans on, one resident told the Daily Telegraph. Back in the United States, the Kokomo hum was isolated in a 2003 study financed by the Indiana City's municipal government. The investigation revealed that two industrial sites, one a Daimler Chrysler plant, were producing noises at specific frequencies. Despite noise abatement measures, some residents continue to complain of the hum. Most researchers investigating the hum express some confidence that the phenomenon is real and not the result of mass hysteria or hearers' hypochondria or extraterrestrials beaming signals to Earth from their spaceships. And in the case of the Kokomo hum, industrial equipment is usually the first suspected source of the hum. In one instance, Leventhal was able to trace the noise to a neighbouring building's central heating unit. Other suspected sources include high-pressure gas lines, electrical power lines, wireless communication devices or other sources. But only in a few cases has a hum been linked to a mechanical or electrical source. There's some speculation that the hum could be the result of low-frequency electromagnetic radiation, audible only to some people. And there are verified cases in which individuals have particular sensitivities to signals outside the normal range of human hearing. Medical experts are quick to point out that tinnitus, the perception of sound where no external noise is present, is a likely cause. But repeated testing has found that many hearers have normal hearing and no occurrences of tinnitus. 
Environmental factors have also been blamed, including seismic activity such as micro-seisms. Very faint, low-frequency earth tremors that can be generated by the action of ocean waves. Other hypotheses, including military experiments and submarine communications, have yet to bear any fruit. For now, hearers of the hum have to resort to white noise machines and other devices to reduce or eliminate the annoying noise. Leventhal, who recommends that some hearers turn to cognitive behavioural therapy to relieve the symptoms caused by the hum, isn't confident that the puzzle will be solved anytime soon. It's been a mystery for 40 years, so it may well remain one for a lot longer, Leventhal told the BBC. As a podcaster who has to create these shows and then listen to them before releasing them to you, my friendly listeners, I found this article quite interesting because this is something I do quite a bit. Why do our voices sound different to us than to other people? And this is from the mentalfloss.com website and it's written by Matt Soniak. For many of us, there are a few things more painful than hearing a recording of our own voices. They don't sound like we think they should. They're tinnier, higher, or just not right. The tape or MP3 doesn't lie though, and the way we think we sound isn't how we really sound to anyone else. This is a cruel trick that happens because of the ways that sounds can travel to our inner ear. Every sound we hear Birds chirping, bees buzzing, people talking and recordings is a wave of pressure moving through the air. Our outer ears catch these waves and funnel them into our head through the ear canal. They strike the eardrum which starts vibrating and those vibrations travel to the inner ear where they're translated into signals that can be sent via the auditory nerve to the brain for interpretation. The inner ear doesn't get stimulated only by external sound waves coming down the ear canal though. It also picks up on vibrations happening inside the body and it's a combination of these two things that makes up the sound you hear when you talk. When you speak, vibrations from your vocal cords resonate in your throat and mouth and some get transmitted and conducted by the bones in your neck and head. The inner ear responds to these just like any other vibrations, turning them into electrical signals and sending them to the brain. Whenever you speak, your inner ear is stimulated both by internal vibrations in your bones and by the sound coming out of your mouth and travelling through the air and into your ears. This combination of vibrations coming to the inner ear by two different paths 
gives your voice, as you normally hear it, a unique character that other air-only sounds don't have. In particular, your bones enhance deeper, low-frequency vibrations and give your voice a full, bassier quality that's lacking when you hear it on a recording. Well, maybe I better read this in a deeper voice to sound a bit more sexy. According to the last article, anyway. From the www.phenomenica.com website. The oldest globe of the New World has been discovered on ostrich eggs. Scientists have discovered the world's oldest globe of the New World, dating back to the early 1500s, and it is carved onto ostrich eggs. The previously unknown globe, which is about the size of a grapefruit, was made from the lower halves of two ostrich eggs and dates from the very early 1500s. Until now, it was thought that the oldest globe to show the New World was the Lenox Globe at the New York Public Library. But researchers said that this Renaissance ostrich globe was actually used to cast the copper Lenox Globe, putting its date to 1504. The globe reported at the Portolan, the Journal of the Washington Map Society, reflects the knowledge gleaned by Christopher Columbus and other very early European explorers, including Amerigo Vespucci, after whom America was named. The author points to Florence, Italy as where the globe was made and offers evidence that the engraver was influenced by or worked in the workshop of Leonardo da Vinci. When I heard of this globe, I was initially skeptical about its date origin, geography and provenance. But I had to find out for myself, said author S. Messine, an independent Belgian research scholar in the journal article. After all, no one had known of it, and discoveries of this type are extremely rare. I was excited to look into it further, and the more I did so, and the more research that we did, the clearer it became that we had a major find, he said. The globe was purchased in 2012 at the London Map Fair from a dealer who said it had been in an important European collection for many decades. The current owner made it available to the author for his research, which included scientific testing of the globe itself, computer tomography testing and carbon dating, and assessment of the ink used to colour its engraved surface, and close geographical, cartographic and historical analysis. More than 100 leading scholars and experts were consulted worldwide for the finding. The globe contains ships of different types, monsters, intertwining waves, a shipwrecked sailor and 71 place names and one sentence, hic sunt dracons, here are the dragons. Only seven of the names are in the Western Hemisphere. No names are shown for North America, which is represented as a group of scattered islands. 
Three names are shown in South America, Mundus Novus, or New World, Terra de Brazil, and Terra Sancte Crucis, or Land of the Holy Cross. For many countries and territories in the world, for example Japan, Brazil, Arabia, this is the oldest known engraved depiction of a globe. and a hearty Hyo Silver, the Lone Ranger. One of my favourite TV shows from when I was a child back in the 60s. The Lone Ranger with its stirring theme music, and only later on did I work out that the theme music wasn't from the TV show originally, but Rossini's William Tell Overture. Anyway, here's a story from the edition.cnn.com website, which will sort of alter my view of that white man on a white horse in a white hat. Was an African-American cop The Real Lone Ranger by Sheena McKenzie More than a century before Johnny Depp wore a terrifying crow headpiece in the new Disney film The Lone Ranger, another hero of the Wild West was carefully arranging his own remarkable disguise. Sometimes dressed as a preacher, other times a tramp, and occasionally even as a woman, But beneath the elaborate costumes was always Bass Reeves, a 19th century Arkansas slave who became a legendary deputy US Marshal, capturing more than 3,000 criminals with his flamboyant detective skills, super strength and supreme horsemanship. Sound familiar? As one historian argues, Reeves could have been the real-life inspiration behind one of America's most beloved fictional characters, the Lone Ranger. Many of Reeves' personal attributes and techniques in catching desperados were similar to the Lone Ranger, says Art Burton, author of Black Gun, Silver Star, the life and legend of frontier marshal Bass Reeves. He was bigger than the Lone Ranger, He was a combination of the Lone Ranger, Sherlock Holmes and Superman, Burton told CNN. But because he was a black man, his story has been buried. He never got the recognition he deserved. 
It's a world apart from the fictional Lone Ranger, who remains one of the most iconic Wild West heroes of the 20th century. First appearing on a Detroit radio station in 1933, the masked man on a white stallion who brought bad guys to justice was hugely successful, with the series running for over two decades. It spawned novels, comic books and an eight-year TV show starring the most iconic Lone Ranger of all, actor Clayton Moore. Indeed, Disney's new film, featuring Army Hammer as the Lone Ranger and Johnny Depp as his trusted Native American sidekick Tonto, is just the latest in a long line of films depicting the legendary lawman. So, what's that got to do with Bass Reeves? one of the country's first African-American marshals, who was born almost 100 years before the Lone Ranger made his radio debut. Quite a lot, argues Burton, pointing to similarities such as their grey horses, penchant for disguises, use of American Indian trackers and unusual calling cards. Reeves gave folks a silver dollar to remember him by while the Lone Ranger left silver bullets. As for the iconic black mask, the link is more symbolic. Blacks at the time wore an invisible mask in a world that largely ignored them. So in that societal sense, Reeves also wore a mask, said Burton, a lecturer at South Suburban College in Illinois. When the Lone Ranger first started appearing in comic books, he wore a black mask that covered his entire face. Why would they do that? There was deep physiological connection going on. Then there's the Detroit link. Many of the thousands of criminals captured by Reeves were sent to the House of Corrections in Detroit, the same city where the Lone Ranger character was created by George Trendle and Fran Stryker. It's not beyond belief that all those felons we're talking about were captured by a black man who had these attributes and the stories got out, said Burton. I haven't been able to prove conclusively that Reeves was the inspiration for the Lone Ranger, but he was the closest person in real life who had these characteristics. In fact, if the newspaper clippings, federal documents and handed down stories are anything to go by, Reeves wasn't just a lawman, he was a six foot two inch mustachioed muscleman who was so honourable he even arrested his own son. Born a slave in Arkansas in 1838, Reeves headed to the Civil War front line in the 1860s, working as a servant for his master in the Confederate Army. While there, he managed to escape to the Indian Territory, now the state of Oklahoma, living with Native Americans and learning their languages and tracking skills. So renowned were the father of Ten's shooting skills and horsemanship that in 1875 he was appointed Deputy US Marshal. He was a big guy for his time, said Burton. If you got in a fight with Reeves, it was the worst decision you could make in your life. It accounted to suicide. He was also an excellent horseman. The Indians taught him how to make himself appear smaller in the saddle, helping him with disguises. Such was the skilled rider's love of horses, he even bred them on his farm. 
Indeed, many of the first US jockeys were African-American slaves who had originally worked in their master's stables. In his 32-year career, Reeves became a Wild West celebrity with folk songs springing up about the marshal with almost mythical strength. He died in 1910 at the impressive age of 71, just as segregation laws were starting to take effect in his home state. Last year, a 23-foot bronze statue of Reeves, in all his gun-slinging glory atop a horse, was unveiled in Fort Smith, Arkansas. He's one of America's most important heroes, and it's sad his story isn't known more than it is, says Burton. But unfortunately, the majority of black history has been buried. Even today, nobody knows where Reeves is buried. I like to tell people he's still in disguise. Nine miles outside the small Lithuanian city of Shalyai, the countryside is suddenly interrupted by something quite astonishing. Thousands upon thousands of crosses have been placed upon this low rise of land. As well as symbolising the deep Christian devotion of many Lithuanians, they are also a testament to the Baltic nation's struggle against oppression. From the www.curiositas website, Lithuanians Hill of Crosses. It is thought that the crosses first began to appear at this spot in the 13th century, shortly after the city was founded. Since then there have been varying numbers of crosses at the site. It was in the 1831 uprising against Russia that the Hill of Crosses became political as well as purely religious. Crosses were placed here to commemorate the dead and missing rebels of this period, and by the beginning of the 20th century there were 150 crosses. By 1940 there were 400. Today there are over 100,000. 1940 was a watershed for Lithuania. It had just enjoyed over 20 years of independence since the First World War. Although it had been a fraught period, marked by territorial disputes with its neighbours and a coup d'etat in 1926. However, after Nazi Germany's invasion of Poland in 1939, things were about to get much worse for Lithuania. The USSR had made a pact with Germany which would carve up the countries between them. Duly, Lithuania was first annexed and occupied by the USSR in 1940. However, there was little respite. After the agreement between the USSR and Germany was ignored, the latter occupied the Baltic state in 1941. Three years later, as the Germans retreated, the Soviet Union once more occupied Lithuania. 
Over the four years of wartime occupation, Lithuania lost 15% of its population, including over 90% of its Jewish countrymen and women. The country would not be able to restore its independence until 46 years later, in 1990. Yet throughout that time, the Hill of Crosses persevered, one way or another. The Hill of Crosses may look organic, to put it politely, but that is the nature of the place. No one individual or organisation is its designated overseer and visitors are able to leave their crosses where they will. Often they place a supplicant message on their cross which details the subjects occupying their prayers. Often the crosses have no other place than on top of another, then another is placed upon that, and so on. The place was, naturally, little admired by what was effectively an occupying force. Lithuanians persisted in their pilgrimages to the Hill of Crosses, where they would leave their tributes. The authorities saw it as an obstinate attempt by the people of Lithuania to retain their identity, both religious and cultural, under communism. The Hill of Crosses was bulldozed three times during the Soviet occupation of the country. Incredibly, there were even plans mooted to build a dam on the nearby river. If it had succeeded, the Hill of Crosses would have disappeared beneath 50 metres of water. The plan, however, was considered too expensive to remove this particular thorn in the side of the authorities, and the hill remained. Whenever it was bulldozed, however, it was not long before the first new crosses would appear. However, the restoration of independence was not quite the end to the country's troubles that the people were hoping for. Lithuania had taken the brave step on 11th of March 1990 to be the first Soviet Republic to declare independence. The Soviet Union responded with an economic blockade and an attack on the TV tower of the capital, Vilnius. Yet by September of 1991, Lithuania had joined the United Nations. It would not be until the end of August 1993, however, that the last Soviet troops left the country. Just a month later, Pope John Paul II visited the Hill of Crosses. He declared the place to be something which every Lithuanian already knew, a home for hope, peace, love and sacrifice. And if you visit the show notes at www.origins.info and click on the link to episode 77 of the Mysteries Abound podcast, and then on the link to this article, there are quite a number of high-quality photographs of the hundreds and thousands of crosses from this amazing site.
a relic hunter dubbed Indiana Bones, has lifted the lid on a macabre collection of 400-year-old jewel-encrusted skeletons unearthed in churches across Europe. Art historian Paul Kundunaris hunted down and photographed dozens of gruesome skeletons in some of the world's most secretive religious establishments. Incredibly, some of the skeletons, said to be the remains of early Christian martyrs, were even found hidden away in lockups and containers. From the www.dailymail.co.uk website, Incredible skeletal remains of Catholic saints still dripping in gems and jewellery discovered by Indiana Bones, Explorer. And this is written by Matt Blake. They are now the subject of a new book which sheds light on the forgotten ornamented relics for the first time. Thousands of skeletons were dug up from Roman catacombs in the 16th century and installed in towns around Germany, Austria and Switzerland on the orders of the Vatican. They were sent to Catholic churches and religious houses to replace the relics destroyed in the wake of the Protestant Reformation in the 1500s. Mistaken for the remains of early Christian martyrs, the morbid relics known as the catacomb saints became shrines reminding of the spiritual treasures of the afterlife. They were also symbols of the Catholic Church's newly found strength in previously Protestant areas. Each one was painstakingly decorated in thousands of pounds worth of gold, silver and gems by devoted followers before being displayed in church niches. Some took up to five years to decorate. They were renamed as saints, although none of them qualified for the title under the strict rules of the Catholic Church, which require saints to have been canonized. But by the 19th century, they had become morbid reminders of an embarrassing past and many were stripped of their honors and discarded. Mr. Kundaris's new book, Heavenly Bodies, Cult Treasures and Spectacular Saints from the Catacombs, is the first time the skeletons have appeared in print. Mr. Kundaris from Los Angeles said, I was working on another book, looking into charnel houses, when I came across the existence of these skeletons. As I discovered more about them, I had this feeling that it was my duty to tell their fascinating story. After they were found in the Roman catacombs, the Vatican authorities would sign certificates identifying them as martyrs, then they would put the bones in boxes and send them northwards. The skeletons would then be dressed and decorated in jewels, gold and silver, mostly by nuns. They had to be handled by those who had taken a sacred vow to the church. These were believed to be martyrs and they couldn't have just anyone handling them. They were symbols of the faith triumphant and were made saints in the municipalities. One of the reasons they were so important was not for their spiritual merit, which was pretty dubious, but for their social importance. They were thought to be miraculous and really solidified people's bonds with the town. This reaffirmed the prestige of the town itself. He added, it's impossible to put a modern day value on the skeletons. 
And if you visit the show notes and click on the link to this article, there are a number of photographs showing these decorated skeletons, and they're really quite bizarre. Some of these topics we may be familiar with because we've done them in the past in the Mysteries Abound podcast, but doesn't hurt to revisit some of them. From the listverse.com, 10 mysterious artefacts that are allegedly alien. And it's by Paulie Poisio. Some say alien life forms had visited Earth throughout history. However, such claims are difficult to prove. Most UFO sightings and abductions are easy to dismiss as hoaxes or simple misunderstandings. But what about the times when little green men actually leave something behind? Or the artefacts people from ancient times have constructed to honour what could only be visitors from other planets? There are many strange objects in the world, both enigmatic and man-made, that are said to be proof of alien life. Number 10. The Russian UFO Tooth Wheel A Russian man found a strange piece of machinery from Vladivostok, the administrative capital of the Primorsky Krai area. The object resembled a piece of tooth wheel and was embedded in a piece of coal he was using to light a fire. Although discarded pieces of old machines are not uncommon in Russia, the man became curious and showed his find to some scientists. Testing revealed that the tooth object was almost pure aluminium and almost certainly artificially made. Also, it was 300 million years old. This raised some interesting questions as aluminium of this purity and shape can't form naturally and humans didn't figure out how to make it until 1825. Curiously, the object also resembles parts that are used in microscopes and other delicate technical instruments. Although conspiracy theorists have been quick to declare the find a part of an alien spaceship, the scientists researching it are not willing to jump to conclusions and wish to run further tests in order to learn more about the mysterious artefact. Number 9. The Guatemala Stone Head In the 1930s, explorers found an enormous, eloquently made sandstone statue in the middle of a Guatemalan jungle. The face carved in the stone didn't resemble the facial features of the Maya or any of the other people known to have populated the lands. In fact, its elongated cranium and fine features didn't seem to belong in the history books at all. Researchers have claimed that the statue's unique features depict a member of an ancient alien civilization, 
that was far more advanced than any of the pre-Hispanic races of America we know about. Some even speculated the head might just be part of a much larger construct underneath. This was found to be untrue. Of course, there's a chance that the statue might be the work of a more recent artist, or even a complete hoax. Sadly, we will probably never find out for sure. The head was used for target practice by revolutionary troops, and its features have been destroyed to near obscurity. Number 8. The Williams Enigma Lith in 1998, a hiker named John J. Williams noticed a strange metallic protrusion in the dirt. He dug up a strange looking rock, which upon cleaning turned out to have weird electrical component attached to it. The electric device was clearly man-made and somewhat resembled an electric plug. The rock has since become a well-known mystery in UFO enthusiast circles. It has featured in UFO magazine, and according to Williams, 14 times, a famed magazine devoted to mysterious phenomena. Williams, an electrical engineer, says the electronic component embedded in the stone has not been glued or welded into the granite. In fact, the rock probably formed around the device. Many believe that the so-called Williams Enigma Lith is a hoax, as Williams refuses to break it but is willing to sell it for half a million dollars. Also, the stone device does bear a certain resemblance to heat rocks that are commonly used to keep tropical pet lizards warm. Still, geological analysis has apparently determined that the stone is around 100,000 years old, which, if true, would mean the device inside can't possibly be of human creation. Williams is confident enough to let anyone research the Enigma Lith on three conditions. He must be present, the rock must remain unharmed, and he will not have to pay for the research. Number 7. Ancient Aeroplanes Incas and other pre-Columbian people left behind some extremely puzzling trinkets. Some of the strangest are probably the so-called ancient aeroplanes which are small golden figures that closely resemble modern jet planes. Originally thought to be zoomorphic, meant to resemble animals, the statues were soon found to have features that look very much like fighter planes' wings, stabilising tails and even landing gears. They were aerodynamic enough that when ancient astronaut believers, allegedly, made model planes with their proportions and fitted them with propellers and again, allegedly, jet engines, they flew perfectly. All of this has led to speculation that the Incas may have been in contact with, likely extraterrestrial, people who were able to build advanced jet planes and who perhaps even possessed the technology themselves. Well, that or these wonderful statuettes might be just artistic representations of bees, flying fish or other winged creatures. As always, the beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Number 6. The Ubaid Lizardman Al Ubaid Archaeological Site in Iraq is a gold mine for archaeologists and historians. It has yielded numerous objects from a pre-Sumerian time called the Ubaid period, 
5,900 to 4,000 BC. However, some of these objects are quite disturbing. A number of Ubaid statues depict strange, lizard-like humanoid figures in unique, unceremonious poses that seem to indicate they were not gods, such as the animal-headed deities of Egypt, but rather a race of lizard people. Of course, the statues have been drawn into stories and theories of reptilian aliens that used to roam the earth, and perhaps still do, according to conspiracy theorists. Although this seems unlikely, their true nature remains a mystery. Number 5. The Sri Lanka Meteorite Fossils Researchers who analysed the remains of a meteorite that fell in Sri Lanka found that their subject was something more than just pieces of space rock. It was an alien artefact in the most literal sense an artefact made of actual aliens. Two separate studies have found that the meteorite contains fossils and algae that are clearly of extraterrestrial origin. Professor Chandra Wickramasinghe, the leading researcher on the first study, says the fossils provide compelling evidence of panspermia, the hypothesis that life exists throughout the universe and is spread by meteorites and other solid space debris. However, he is not without his critics. Wickramasinghe just happens to be a noted panspermia enthusiast with a tendency to claim that almost everything is of extraterrestrial origin. What's more, the traces of life the meteorite contains are actually freshwater species commonly found on Earth, which seems to indicate the object has been contaminated during its time on our planet. Number four. The Summer's Triumph Tapestry The tapestry known as Summer's Triumph was created in Bruges, the capital of West Flanders province in the Flemish region of Belgium around 1538. Currently it resides in the Bayerisches National Museum. Summer's Triumph is famous or infamous among conspiracy theorists because it clearly depicts a number of distinctly UFO objects flying in the skies. Although their presence is baffling, some speculate they may have been added into the tapestry, which depicts a victorious ruler's ascension to power in order to connect the UFOs to the ruler as a symbol of divine intervention. This of course raises more questions and answers such as, why would the 16th century Belgians recognise flying saucers and mentally connect them with divinity? And here's one that's familiar to the listeners to the podcast. Number three, the glorification of the Eucharist. An Italian painter named Ventura Salimbeni is responsible for one of the most mysterious altar paintings in history. Disputer of the Eucharist, a 16th century painting, also known as the glorification of the Eucharist, is a three-part work. The bottom two parts are relatively normal. They depict a number of religious authorities and an altar. However, the top part shows the Holy Trinity, Father, Son and a Dove depicting the Holy Ghost, looking upon them and holding what seems to be a space satellite. The object is large and spherical with a metallic finish, telescopic antennas and strange lights. In fact, 
It heavily resembles an old Sputnik satellite. Although UFO enthusiasts and ancient astronaut theorists have often claimed the disputer as proof of extraterrestrial life, or perhaps time travel, experts have been quick to debunk such notions. According to them, the orb is a sphera mundi, a globe-like representation of the universe that used to be common in religious art. The strange lights on the satellite are merely the sun and the moon, and its antennas are actually scepter wands that act as symbols of authority for the Father and the Son. Number 2. The Mexican Government's Maya Artifacts The story goes like this. In 2012, the Mexican government released a number of Maya artifacts that they had been protecting for 80 years as state secrets. These objects were retrieved from an unexplored pyramid that was found under another pyramid in Calakmul, the site of one of the most powerful ancient Maya cities. A government-sanctioned documentary by Raul Julia Levi, the son of famous actor Raul Julia and financier Elizabeth Theriot, ex-wife of a former publisher of the San Francisco Chronicle, featured a number of these finds, most of which clearly depict UFOs and alien visitors. The case may seem fairly enticing, but once you look closer, a strange pattern of fraud begins to emerge. Both of the documentarians seem to be lying about something. Julia Levi doesn't appear to be who he claims to be. Raul Julia's widow has publicly called out a conman named Salvador Alba Funetes. According to her, Salvador is attempting to ride on her late husband's fame and is going around telling everyone his name is, yes, Raul Julia Levi. Meanwhile, Theriot has shut down the production of the documentary and sued her partner, accusing Julia Levi of stealing her documentary and misusing filming equipment, a statement Julia Levi vehemently opposes. What's more, there seems to be very little scientific proof of the authenticity of the artefacts, and the pictures that have emerged online are less than concrete evidence. Perhaps the artefacts were cheap fakes, manufactured by a local artisan. Perhaps the officials had second thoughts about the documentary and ordered Theriot to shut it down by any means necessary. Whatever the truth behind these strange artefacts is, their case is far from convincing. And finally, number one, the Betts Mystery Sphere. When the Betts family was examining the damage of a strange fire that had decimated 88 acres of their woodland, they made a strange discovery. A silvery sphere, about 20 centimetres in diameter, completely smooth except for a strange, elongated triangle symbol. Initially thinking it might be a NASA gadget or even a Soviet spy satellite, they eventually decided it was most likely just a souvenir. On a moment's whim, they decided to take it with them. Two weeks later, the family's son was strumming a guitar in the same room as the sphere. Suddenly, the sphere started reacting to his tunes, emitting a strange throbbing sound and a resonance that deeply disturbed the family's dog. Soon the Betts family found the orb had other strange properties. 
it could stop and change directions when pushed across the floor, eventually returning to the person who pushed it like a faithful dog. It seemed to draw power from solar energy, becoming noticeably more active on brighter days. It started looking like something or someone was controlling the sphere. It would occasionally emit low-frequency rattlings and vibrations, like there was a motor running inside. It seemed to avoid falling and crashing at all costs, as if to protect something inside. It even managed to completely defy the laws of gravity and climb up a slanted table to avoid falling. A media frenzy ensued. Respected papers such as the New York Times and the London Daily sent reporters to witness the miracle sphere, which repeated its tricks to countless people. Even scientists and representatives of the military were impressed, although the Betts family wouldn't let them take the sphere for closer examination. However, that soon changed as the sphere took a turn for the worst. It started exhibiting poltergeist-like behaviour. Doors started slamming shut at night, and strange organ music would fill the house out of the blue. At that point, the family decided to find out what the sphere really was. The Navy analysed it and found it was a perfectly ordinary, if high-quality, stainless steel ball. To this day, it's not entirely clear what the mysterious alien sphere is. However, there have been many theories attempting to explain its possible nature. The most plausible of these, incidentally, the most mundane. Three years before the Betts family found the orb, an artist named James Derling Jones was driving in the area where it was found. On the luggage rack of his car roof were a number of stainless steel balls meant for a sculpture he was making, some of which dropped off during the bumpy ride. These balls matched the exact description of the Betts sphere and were balanced enough to roll around at the slightest provocation. The Betts family lived in an old house with uneven floors, so a ball would appear to behave erratically. These balls could even emit a rattling sound thanks to tiny metal shavings stuck inside during the manufacturing process. Although this doesn't explain all of the reported phenomena, it certainly casts a shadow over all the mysterious ghost ball from outer space rhetoric. Every year at this time we have the pods of humpback whales travelling up the east coast of Australia, not far from where I live here in Brisbane. And of course we have a visitor each year that makes headlines every time we see this whale. Called Migaloo, he's very, very beautiful and very, very strange. No one's sure how old he is or where he comes from, but he's certainly a frequent and welcome visitor and not only that, a great tourist attraction. So for those of you who are interested in an albino humpback whale, there are some really good photographs associated with this article. It's only short, it's from the io9.com website, and it's entitled, These rare photos of Migaloo, the albino humpback whale, are astonishing. So if you'd like to see them, visit the show notes. 
About a year ago, we told you about Migaloo, the only documented white humpback whale in the world. Unfortunately, the only pictures we had were grainy and taken from a low angle. So just wait till you get a load of these new photos. Migaloo was spotted in 1991 along the Queensland coast in Australia. The whale, whose name means whitefella, is protected under Australian law and has gained a following of people eager to share their images of the extraordinary specimen. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.